All right, good evening, everyone. We're going to go ahead and get started. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome to Catholicism 101. Whether this is your first time or whether you've been coming to all of our Catholicism 101 events, uh, welcome back or welcome. So we're excited you're here. Um, tonight's topic is called the Holy Week Playbook. So we're going to go through all the days of Holy Week, at least the Triduum, which I'll explain what that means in a minute, um, and literally give you the playbook so that when you participate in those liturgies, pretty much starting tomorrow, you'll know exactly what's happening and you'll feel like an expert when you're participating in that Mass. Um, so before we begin, we're going to start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to learn more about you, to learn more about our faith through these Catholicism 101 series. In a special way, we just ask that you be here in this space as we strive to learn about the gift that you gave us of your life, of your death, of your resurrection. Lord, we know that we'll never be able to fully understand what it is that you did for us, but may we at least recognize that gift knowing that all you desired was to be as close to us as possible so that we could be pulled up to you, to the Father, to the Holy Spirit. So we ask all of this in your most holy name. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So this is going to be a crash course. Uh, we're going to fit a lot of info in a very, very short amount of time. Um, and then we started doing this thing of doing adoration right after these Catholicism 101 series. So I'm going to give you a ton of info. I'll give you some reflection questions. And then if you're able to stay to pray for adoration, there'll be confession as well. Um, I'll have those reflection questions for you to kind of go deeper with the material. So, so yeah, this is our playbook, Holy Week. Uh, it's my favorite time of year. Uh, it is a crazy time of year if you work in ministry. This is the busiest week of our entire year if you work in this field. Um, so I mentioned this word already, the triduum. How many of you have heard of that word before? Just raise your hand. It's okay if you don't. Good. So you're all going to learn a new Latin word today, triduum. It's Latin for the great three days. So really it is this time in our church year when we get to celebrate the passion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you can think of it as the highest point of the entire liturgical year. Essentially, it is one mega mass, and it lasts three days long. So it begins with Holy Thursday, and then continues into Good Friday, which is the liturgy of the Lord's Passion. And at the end of the Good Friday service, we actually leave the church in silence, so the mass is not over. We continue and wait to celebrate the glory of our Lord's resurrection. And then on Saturday at sundown, the church regathers to celebrate the final and most grand moment of the Triduum, the resurrection of our Lord. So you can think of it as a three-day prayer marathon, if you will, um, because it's amazing and it's really this ultimate example of God's love for us. So my point tonight, um, which I shared this earlier when we were promoting this event, this week is everything. This is the week that changed the world. Again, this is three-day prayer marathon, this mega mass, if you will, um, where we do get to explore the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord. So tonight, we're going to kind of break open those three days. So the Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Vigil. We'll talk a little bit about Easter. I'll give you some things to think about, to pray about as we enter into that, knowing it's starting tomorrow. Um, and we'll kind of go from there. So brace yourselves. It's going to go really fast. So we're going to start with Holy Thursday. 
So the Mass on Holy Thursday is commonly known as the Feast of the Lord's Supper. So this Mass is a time for Catholics to remember the Last Supper. So I have Da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper here for you to look at, where Jesus and his apostles gathered to celebrate Passover. So Holy Thursday is sometimes referred to as Maundy Thursday, which comes from the Latin word mandatum, meaning to command or to mandate. So Jesus commands his disciples multiple times on the single evening. So first, during the Last Supper discord, where he says, do this in remembrance of me. Second, during the feet washing, to do for others as I have done for you. We'll get to that in a minute. And also through a new commandment, as I have loved you, so also should you love one another. So during the Holy Thursday liturgy, we celebrate three great events in our church, the memorial of Passover, the institution of the Eucharist, and the institution of the priesthood. So we're going to look at two ritual actions within the liturgy. So when that happens tomorrow, if you're here, you'll actually know what's going on and why we do it. So we're going to look at the washing of the feet and the celebration of the Eucharist. So at the Last Supper, Jesus took a basin and a towel. He got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of all of his apostles. After this action, he commanded the apostles, I have given you a model to follow, so that I have done for you, so should you also do. Which is in John 13, 15. We'll hear that in a minute. But this is Jesus' commandment. Just as Jesus has been a servant to his apostles, so the apostles must now go out into the world and be servants to everyone around them. But this isn't just for the apostles. This is for us as well. So we are called to do the exact same thing in our daily lives. So we may not be called to literally wash the feet of another, but maybe sometimes that is the case. But the action of washing one's feet reminds us of the call to humble servitude. So foot washing is not a reenactment, especially in this liturgy, or a recreation of a past event, but rather it's a commemorative action that reminds us that God calls us first and foremost to be servants to others in our daily lives. And for me, it's amazing to see that our Lord, God, who is literally, he created everything around us, um, that he is omniscient, he knows everything, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, um, but yet he humbled himself in this way. He literally did what was seen as like dirty work of washing someone's feet. He knelt down and washed the feet of the apostles. Like that's pretty radical if you were there to experience that, but just thinking about that now, that's crazy that God himself got down on his hands and knees to wash someone's feet. I don't know how many of us would actually do that for anyone else, but God did it. So this is the model that we're supposed to follow. It's true servant leadership, that you're able to do that. You're not above that act. Um, So this is something that we're supposed to be following as well. So one of the questions is, how does that look like in your life? What would that look like in your life to actually, like, wash the feet of another? Um, So the ritual of washing the feet happens, like I said, these Holy Thursday liturgy, and it can take place in many different ways, and maybe you've experienced this, these different ways in your parishes, but some churches will choose to have 12 people to come up to the front, uh, representing those 12 apostles, to have their feet washed by a priest presiding at that liturgy. This is actually what we're going to be doing here tomorrow um, at the Newman Center. Hopefully we'll have 12 people. But other churches will invite the entire gathered community to have their feet washed, so it's particularly popular um, because everyone gets invited to come up and have their feet washed and potentially by someone they don't even know in that community. 
Um, but however it happens, whether it's 24 people or 600 people, people getting their feet washed, feet washing should always be a reminder that Christ has called us to be servants to the entire world. So a personal example of this, my parish uh, was one that they had it open that anyone can come up and get their feet washed. So I like washed the feet of my brother one time, my dad washed my feet one time, it was just really beautiful. I washed a stranger's feet one time, Um, but it was just really beautiful to be able to serve someone in that way, even if I don't know them. Um, But in a particular way, I remember one of my best friends from back home, Uh, There was one Holy Thursday service that she got to wash the feet of her grandpa, who was very, very old at the time. Actually, I think there were two people that had to help him up to go up to the chair and to sit down in the chair so that he could have his feet washed by his granddaughter. And it was particularly moving because we knew he was kind of, you know, falling ill um, and wasn't doing well health-wise. And actually, he ended up passing away like a month later. So it was just really moving for us to be able to witness my friend being able to wash the feet of her grandpa, knowing that she's known him her entire life. And that was kind of like her goodbye act of being able to serve him in that way. So it can be a really moving um, ritual that we get to experience. But that's just one personal example of something that's really moved me for Holy Thursday. So at the very first Last Supper... Jesus also instituted the Eucharist for the church. So at this Holy Thursday celebration, we're reminded of who we are in Jesus Christ and that through the sacrament of the Eucharist, we are and we become even more of the body of Christ together. So at the conclusion of a Holy Thursday celebration, there's no concluding prayer. Again, this is mega mass, so there's no official ending to the service, knowing that we're continuing into Good Friday. Um, But instead, there's a Eucharistic procession. So the Eucharist that is left for communion is processed to a chapel or reservation. Um, It reminds us of Jesus' time in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we kind of process to this new altar of repose, is what we call it, um, where Jesus prayed so fervently through the night. So the entire community is invited to join in this procession out of the church into this new chapel reservation where the altar of repose is. And we join in silent prayer and adoration until night prayer concludes that evening and the Eucharist is put in the tabernacle. Um, and the gathered community would then leave in silence and return to prayer the next day for Good Friday. However, there's also a tradition, which we're doing here, so if you're interested in participating, see one of the missionaries, of going to different churches to see Jesus in adoration. It's kind of the um, stay here and keep watch with me. The hour has come. So people will take pilgrimages to seven, it's kind of the holy number of seven, um, to seven different churches that are also offering adoration. So you get to go see Jesus in these different places and get to pray in different environments, knowing that it's, it's all Jesus, it's all the same Jesus. Um, so that's just a tradition that people will do, is go on this pilgrimage of seven churches to be able to pray in adoration, knowing that we're praying through the night, um, continuing into the Good Friday service the next day. So if you're interested in that, we are doing that here. Um, so see one of the missionaries, and they can let you know about that. Um, and then finally, I said there were three reasons we had the... Um, institution of the Eucharist, we had the feet washing, but then we have the institution of the priesthood. So how is this celebrated? It's during the liturgy. Uh, When Christ institutes the Holy Eucharist, the Mass, we hear in the Gospel of the Last Supper uh, that Jesus blessed the bread and wine, gave it to them saying, this is my body, this is my blood. And then he says, do this in memory of me. So this is the moment when he institutes the priesthood by giving his priests, the apostles, 
that responsibility. So our bishops and priests today continue that action at every single mass of doing this in memory of me, of bringing that bread and wine to be his body and blood, every single mass. So it was at that night with those words that he created the priesthood and instilled it into the apostles to continue that practice. So who, I think it was Lauren, right? She's going to read um, scripture for us. So John 13, Lauren. This is the summary of all of that for Holy Thursday. Before the feast of Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to pass from this world to the Father. He loved his own in the world, and he loved them to the end. The devil had already induced Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, to hand him over. So during supper, fully aware that the Father had put everything into his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, he rose from supper and took off his outer garments. He took a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. He came to Simon Peter, who said to them, Master, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what am, I, what am I doing? You do not understand now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, Unless I wash you, you will have no inheritance with me. Simon Peter said to him, Master, then not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus said to him, Whoever has bathed has no need except to have his feet washed, for he's clean all over. So you are clean, but not, but not all. For he knew who would betray him. For this reason, he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and put his garments back on and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you realize what I have done for you? You call me teacher and master, and rightly so, for indeed I am. If, if I, therefore, the master and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you a model to follow, so that as I have done for you, you should also do. Amen, amen, I say to you, no slave is greater than his master, nor any messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you, if you understand this, blessed are you if you do it. So that's Holy Thursday in a nutshell. Um, I have these really cool illustrated guides, the Tritum. I should have passed this out before I started. It's through Focus, actually. It's a Focus resource. Um, but I'm going to pass these out because for each day, um, it talks about what happened on the day, which is a summary of what I'm sharing, uh, what you'll see at church if you go to the service, again, kind of what I'm talking about, and then how you can live the day, so how you can kind of go further living out that day. So I'm going to pass these out um, while we move into Good Friday. Great. Okay, we're going to move into Good Friday as those are being passed out. Um, And then I'll reference this at the end so we can kind of do a a summary. So Good Friday. In this solemn celebration, it's referred to as the Liturgy of the Lord's Passion or the Veneration of the Cross Service. We remember the Passion, Death of our Lord. Someone move that on. Uh, There are three parts to a Good Friday Liturgy. And it has no official beginning and no official ending. Again, we're continuing on this mega mass over three days. So there's no official ending, no official official beginning, and no official ending. So the three parts of the liturgy are the liturgy of the word, the veneration of the cross, and holy communion. So at the beginning of the liturgy, the priests actually enter the sanctuary area and they lie prostrate. So they kind of prostrate themselves on the floor as an act of humility and also to show the grief and sorrow of the church. So they're representing all of us, all of our grief and sorrow as they lay prostrate there in front of the altar. 
And then eventually they get up and then we move into the liturgy of the word where we hear the narrative of the passion of Christ narrated as a reminder of what Christ did for the salvation of humanity. And then the faithful are invited to come and venerate the cross with a gesture, such as a kiss or a bow, a reverent bow. And then the services, um, that service ends by receiving Holy Communion that was consecrated and reserved from the Holy Thursday liturgy. So actually, there is, this is a fun fact, there, if, so if you want to trip anyone, there is only one day in the entire year where no Mass is celebrated. Can you guys guess which day that is? Good Friday, yes. So there's no, yes. <laughs> Good job, you guys. You're listening. Yes, so that is the only day out of the entire year that there's no mass celebrated. So the communion that we receive at that on that day is actually was consecrated the day before at Holy Thursday. So it was reserved for us to be able to participate in the communion, but there's no mass because there's no consecration that actually happens on that day. So if you ever want to do a fun fact to someone, be like, what's the only day that there's no mass celebrated? Good Friday. Um, any questions about that so far? So, yes, um, it might seem strange during a Good Friday liturgy that Catholics will choose to venerate or adore the very instrument that was used to torture and crucify Jesus. But the veneration of the cross reminds us that through the cross, the glory of the resurrection can emerge. So on Good Friday, we come forward to show our great reverence and respect for the cross. So people have various traditions uh, when they approach the cross. Like I was saying earlier, sometimes they kiss the cross. Uh, sometimes they kneel before the cross or even just touch it in some fashion. So as you participate in this ritual, you can venerate the cross in any way that feels normal to you. But most of all, you're just taking in the experience of this gathered community coming so close to a tragic but integral event in our faith. And the joke is, if you enjoy spiritual aerobics, then Holy or Good Friday is the ritual for you, um, because there is what's called the expanded form of general intercessions. So the presider and or a deacon, if they're there, they work together and they pray ten intercessions. Um, and these intercessions are the same intercessions the entire church prays on Good Friday. So no matter where you are, what service you're participating, you're, you're praying the exact same intercessions. Um, and they usually include praying for the Holy Church, uh, for unity of all Christians, for the Jewish people, for praying for people who do not believe in Christ or God, praying for people in public office, praying for people who are suffering or facing difficult times, etc. Um, but these prayers recognize how universal our church is so that we should be aware of all the faiths and traditions in the world um, and that they are different from our own. So we're praying for everyone, essentially, at this liturgy. Um, but it's just cool that we're all praying that no matter which church you're in. Um, but the reason is spiritual aerobics because normally you'll kneel and stand and sometimes they have your hands raised. So you're just getting a lot of work there. Um, so we're putting in the work to pray for all these people around the world. So who has Luke 23... 13 through 25. Anthony, if you can read that for us, please. Pilate then summoned the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought this man to me and accused him of inciting the people to revolt. I have conducted my investigation in your presence and have not found this man guilty of the charges you have brought against him, nor did Herod, for he sent him back to us. So no capital crime has been committed by him. Therefore, I shall have him flogged and then release, and then release him. But all together they shouted out, "Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us!" Now Barabbas and had been in prison for a rebellion that had taken place in the city, and for murder. 
Again, Pilate addressed them, still wishing to release Jesus. But they continued their shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate addressed them a third time, What evil has this man done? I found him guilty of no capital crime. Therefore, I shall have him flogged and then released, and release him. With loud shouts, however, they persisted in calling him for his crucifixion, and their voices prevailed. The verdict of, the, of Pilate was that their demand should be granted. So he released the man who had been in prison for rebellion and murder, for whom they asked, and he handed Jesus over to them to deal with as they wished. So that is Good Friday. And I have a little video. There's a video I stumbled upon a, a few years ago. Um, it's called, What If Jesus Had a Twitter? And it kind of um, involves the, the passion narrative and stuff. So we're going to watch that. Okay, so moving on uh, because of time. Uh, next we have the Easter Vigil. So the Easter Vigil, obviously with death comes resurrection. So there's a happy ending. Um, so the Easter Vigil in the Holy Night um, is when the Lord rose again. It's considered the mother of all holy vigils in which the church awaits the resurrection of Christ. So the vigil, by its very nature, must take place at night. So it does not begin before nightfall, and it should end before daybreak on Easter Sunday. So the Easter vigil begins and ends in darkness. So it's a nocturnal vigil, retaining its ancient character of vigilance and expectation as the Christian people await the resurrection of the Lord during the night. So fire is blessed, um, often outside, sometimes not, not always, but sometimes. And then the Paschal candle is lighted to illuminate the night so that all may hear the Easter proclamation and listen to the word of God proclaimed in the scriptures. So the celebration of the Easter Vigil tells the whole story of our salvation from creation to resurrection and beyond. So because of all the ritual moments, the service tends to be on the lengthier side. Um, The average Easter Vigil will last about two to two and a half hours long. Um, But you shouldn't let the length of the celebration distract you from uh, participating because the Easter Vigil includes the lighting of the Easter fire and the Paschal candle which is the larger candle that we'll use the entire year. So normally that'll be in a church for the entire year long lit um, during all the masses. Um, There's the singing of the exalted, which is the Easter proclamation. I'll talk about that a little later. And then the expanded liturgy of the word that traces time through salvation history. So it's essentially the story of our salvation, which is proclaimed. The liturgy of initiation. So if anyone is coming into the church for the first time to receive um, sacraments of baptism, Uh, confirmation or the Eucharist that happens during that liturgy and then uh, the celebration of the Holy Eucharist okay so I was saying all the rituals come together for one purpose to remember and recall the saving deeds of our God on our behalf Um, so here's going to be the explanation of two moments from the celebration so we have the exalted which I said is the Easter proclamation it's a hymn that is sung by either a deacon priest or cantors I think Father Connor is actually going to sing it for us on the Easter vigil and this hymn speaks of how God interceded in our lives on our behalf so the exalted especially recalls the holy night when Jesus rose from the dead Um, And what makes this moment really dramatic is that the Exalta is sung in a church lit only with the light of the Paschal candle and other smaller candles which the people are holding. So we're kind of in the tomb together in a way, symbolically, um, with these lights awaiting the resurrection of the Lord, um, hearing about all the different times that God has interceded on our behalf. So it's really, really beautiful. Um, And that leads to the Gloria where all the lights come on and there's bells and it's just a big party, (laughs) essentially. Um, 
But before that, we have the Liturgy of the Word um, for the Easter Vigil, which is normally comprised of nine different readings and seven psalms. So the first reading begins with the story of creation, and then each reading after that recounts the story of our faith lives throughout history. So you hear the story of Isaac and Abraham, of Moses and the Exodus, and etc. Uh, but all of these readings lead up to singing of the Gloria, when all the lights come on, and then the final reading, the resurrection of Christ, is proclaimed in the Gospel. So why so many readings? Um, But like singing the Exaltet, the readings recount the many ways in which God has interceded on our behalf throughout history. So we get to hear that together in a single liturgy um, leading up to the resurrection of the Christ, which is this unheard of thing um, that Christ did for us on our behalf. So it's just really, really beautiful. Um, And some churches don't do all nine readings for time, um, but uh, it's just really awesome to recall how God has interceded on our behalf from the very beginning of time through this Easter vigil, um, and to remember that God's still interceding on our behalf in the present moment, and he's always working in our lives in different ways. So we're, we're hearing our story come alive in this liturgy and knowing like, oh, this is still happening even now. This wasn't just this one time thing, but God is still interceding on our behalf even now. So we get to see our stories played into this huge story of salvation history, which is just really awesome. Um, And then finally we have Easter, and then I'll have my third reader uh, go. But um, Easter, you know, is kind of the continuation of that. Um, And throughout those three days of the Triduum, we experience the highs and lows of our faith. Um, But we end it with this ultimate high, the new life of the resurrection. So the Easter season begins with the Easter vigil. But then we enter into a time, the Easter season of 50 days. We get to celebrate Easter for 50 days, which is awesome, um, where we're going to sing and ring bells and just have this joyful time. Um, So it's not just a one-day thing. It's so exciting. And like I said, this is a climax of our faith that we celebrate it for 50 days long, which is awesome. So that's pretty much all I had. It's a lot in a small amount of time, but that's the truth, and that's why I think this is helpful because it's your summary sheet of everything I just talked about. Um, again, what happened on this day, what you're going to see at these liturgies, and then how you can live this day, um, that particular day, how you can enter into it a little deeper, um, just like take it to the next step. So. All that has to say is the Triduum is amazing, and you should definitely go to the services here if you'd like, uh, which is why I made the meme yesterday, um, that we would love for you to come and participate here. Um, we have 7 p.m. Mass tomorrow, or liturgies at 7 p.m. for Holy Thursday, 3 p.m., which traditionally is when Jesus would have died. Um, so we do a, a service at 3 p.m. then. We're going to do Stations of the Cross at noon, when our normal Mass would be. But since there's no Mass that day, we're going to do stations at noon, and then 3 p.m. will be the service. Um, And then the Easter Vigil, we would love for you guys to come back because we do have um, someone who's going to be entering into the church. He'll be baptized, get his confirmation in uh, First Eucharist. So that vigil is at 8 p.m. on Saturday. So I know it's late, but we would love for you to come to celebrate with um, St. Micah, so pray for him. Um, But we would love for you to come so we can celebrate with Micah as he enters into our family um, at the Easter Vigil. So 8 p.m., and then we'll have our Easter Mass here at 11 um, a.m. on Sunday. So... We'd love for you to come celebrate with us, Um, but hopefully now that you know what's happening, uh, you can kind of enter into that a little deeper this year. So, And then, like I said, we're doing the church crawl um, after the Holy Thursday service, if you're welcome to join us for that as well. We'll go to local churches here, some walkable, some driving, um, but we'd love you to participate in that as well. So, what? Yeah, so see one of the missionaries, they have a link so we can register, so we can do a carpool, but... Anyways, yeah, thank you.